Well, good morning, Antioch. I'm really, really glad to be here with you. It's really an honor and a privilege for me and my family uh, to get to be here with you. Uh, as I was thinking about you and just some of the things I'm hearing that are coming out of your church, I thought about what Paul said in First Thessalonians where he says that he's encouraged by the fact that the word of the Lord is going out from among them locally and to the ends of the earth. And I hear that that's true of you here at, at Antioch. And so therefore, uh, it is real privilege for me to get to stand before you and preach to you and with you God's word. I am really excited because God speaks through his word, which means that um, whatever job I do, really my job, my responsibility, my privilege is to just simply open the word of God so that we might hear the voice of God. And therefore, it is always, always a humbling and exciting uh, journey to stand before you and any of the people of God to hear what God has to say in his word. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 96. Psalm 96, something I've been chewing on for a while, and so I'm excited about what I believe God has to say to us here this morning. Um, I recently had the opportunity to lead a short-term trip to Nairobi with a group of men from my church. And it was a really, really great trip. We saw God do some amazing things. But then as I was on the plane back, I decided to watch a movie, one I had seen before. And in that movie, there's a father who goes out from his family thinking that this journey is going to help him um, save really his family and, and actually really all of humanity. And so he thinks that he's going away. He doesn't know exactly how long he's going to go away for, but it ends up being decades that he's gone. He leaves a daughter behind who is a very young girl when he leaves, and by the time he returns, she is this grown woman. And so he's having this conversation at the end of the movie with her, and she's expressing how she knew, she knew that he was going to come back to her. And he's just kind of baffled by this because he's thinking, I didn't even know if I was going to make it back. And so he's having this conversation and he asks her, but how, how did you know that I was going to come back? And what she said actually brought me to tears. I was sitting on the plane just crying, listening to what she said. She said this, she said, my dad made me a promise. My dad made me a promise. That's how I knew you were coming back. My dad made me a promise. When I think about Psalm 96 and I think about the echo throughout the scriptures of how God has made this promise. Hey, I'm going to send this Messiah, this king, who's going to bring my reign to the earth and through my people. He's made a promise. Psalm 96 is a celebration of the return of God among his people. But as we're reading Psalm 96, we're thinking about it from this side of the cross, having seen Jesus come as a fulfillment of God's promise to send this king we've been waiting for. And so on this side, we are looking into Psalm 96 through the lens of Jesus, and now it's even more of a celebration than it was when they were thinking about the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God coming and representing God's very presence among his people. So as we read this, we are thinking and celebrating and responding to God's faithfulness that God made us a promise, and he has been faithful to keep that promise in the King of Kings the Lord and Messiah, the sent one, Jesus. So as we read Psalm 96, would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to read the first six verses and hear the word 
of the Lord. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heaven. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. The Lord has spoken to us. Let's respond together. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we work through this passage, we're going to focus on two things. Number one, believe that God wants to show us the God of mission, who he is. It's the God of mission is the first thing. And the second thing we're going to see is the mission of God's people. What is it that he has actually called us to as his people? So the God of mission, the mission of God's people, hopefully this will be very simple but very celebratory because that's what Psalm 96, that's the context that Psalm 96 arises out of. So the God of mission, let's start there. Uh, Three times we're told to sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. We see that in verse 1, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Then second time, sing to the Lord. And then in verse 2, a third time, sing to the Lord. And then three things we're told, very related things, but three things we're told out of singing to the Lord. And we're told, number one, bless his name. Number two, tell of his salvation from day to day. Number three, declare his glory among the nations. And we're going to come back to that. But what I want to pose to you right now is why are we told that? Why are we told to sing to the Lord this song? Why are we told to bless his name, to tell of his salvation, to declare his glory among the nations? Well, what does it say? Let's start with what it doesn't say. It doesn't say we do this because we have to. It doesn't say we do this because we're trying to merit something from God, because we're concerned that he's going to be angry with us if we don't. That's that's not the reasoning here for why we do this. We're not guilted into singing to the Lord a new song. So why, why are we called to do this? We're compelled to do this. We, it's like we're bursting out in song because we're looking at something about who God is. That's, that's what it says, right? Verse 4, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So here's the first thing we see. The God of mission is worthy of all worship. All worship. The God of mission is worthy of all worship. And that's good news for us, that he's worthy of all worship. Um, So I and several other people from my church were recently interviewed by a professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which is the university that I attend or attended. And um, she is not a believer, but she said she started looking into our church because she said she noticed for the last 10 years students come into her classroom with Uh, stickers on their cups, the Summit Church, come in with t-shirts, the Summit Church. So she says she just kind of noticed this over 10 years, and she wondered, what what is this church? So she started looking into our church, and she said she was surprised to find out that we're a Southern Baptist church. (laughs) So she's a history professor, so she knows something of the history of the Southern Baptist Convention. So she said, I know that you guys are kind of crazy. So she's wondering, how is it that this Southern Baptist church is reaching all of these students? So she starts looking into it, reaches out to our church, comes to some of our services, listens to some of our preaching, and she starts reaching out, hey, I want to talk with some of you about what is happening there. And so I was one of those people. So we have this conversation really for an hour and a half. She's asking really good questions. 
um, it doesn't take me very long to realize that some of these questions are not really just concerned with research. This is really a wrestling with Jesus that she's doing. It was a really, really good conversation. But one of the things she asked me about is evangelism. Tell, tell me about how you do this, what you do, your view of this. We talk about it, and she says to me, the way you're talking about evangelism, it's really compelling to me. And then she says, but the cynical side of me says, yeah, but you don't really care about people. You, you don't really, like, you're not really concerned about who they are or their stories. You're really just, this conversation for you is really just instrumental. Like, you're really just trying to sell them on something. And then she says, how would you, how would you respond to that? And I say to her, no, I'm not trying to sell anything to anyone. I say to her, evangelism is not about trying to win someone to an argument. It's not trying to get somebody to come to my specific point. That's not what's happening in evangelism. What evangelism is, is upholding a person, Jesus, and saying, look at him with me. Because he's changed something fundamentally about my life and really about life in general. Look at him. I don't have to sell you on anything. I'm trying to get you to look at the one who is great and greatly to be praised. So verse 6 says, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So the God of mission is worthy of worship. And really for two reasons we see here in the text. Number one, because he's beautiful. The God of mission is worthy of all worship because he is beautiful. We share about God because he's beautiful, not because we have to, not because we're trying to sell somebody on something. We share about him because we're compelled because he is beautiful. You don't keep it to yourself when something is beautiful. You know that, right? Like when you think something is truly beautiful, you can't. I I mean, I've been spending the last couple of days, me and my family, with with Brad. And uh, one of the things that him and his family are into is bird watching. Now, I personally have never really been into bird watching, but he finds it beautiful. There's something compelling about something that someone else finds beautiful. It's, it's like easy to be swept into that because he's so excited about it. I remember when I was told by my wife that she was pregnant with our first son. We were in South Africa at the time as missionaries. And uh, I remember when she said that to me, see, we had just lost a baby. And I remember when she told me how excited I was for this to be true. Like, something you need to know about me is even though we serve as missionaries, both of us are very introverted. We don't just, like, particularly like walking up to random people and starting conversations. That's just not our personality, but that was a lot of our ministry. But I'll tell you something. When she told me that she was pregnant with our son— I had to fight back this urge to just walk up to random people and tell them, hey, you, guess what? (laughs) We're having a baby. Because it was beautiful to me. And you communicate what you cherish. Right? You talk about what you treasure. Right? you, You bear witness to whatever you find beautiful. So the question for us, Antioch, is do you find God beautiful? Because if he's beautiful, you can't keep it to yourself. You can't. But if he's just useful to you, then you will keep it to yourself. So do you find this God in this Bible beautiful? And how do we know? How do we know this God is beautiful? I think about a passage like Hebrews chapter 1. It's one of my favorite passages in all the scriptures. 
Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Long ago, in many times, and in many ways, God has spoken to us, or to our fathers, by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. What Son? The Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the shining out of God, the exact imprint of his nature, which means that if you want to know what the justice and the righteousness and the mercy and the grace and the love of God is like, look at Jesus. He's the shining out of God. Jesus is how we know God. And what's so beautiful about this Jesus, the scars in his hands, that's what's beautiful about Jesus. A God who would die for you is beautiful. A God who does for you what you cannot do for yourself is beautiful. So while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Not when we had cleaned ourselves up, not when we had made ourselves holy, not when we had figured it out, not when we started going to church, not when we had gotten over that thing we knew that we weren't supposed to do anymore. It was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. That's beautiful. This God is beautiful. He does for us not only what we cannot do for ourselves, but what nobody else could do for us. And then I love in that, in that Hebrews 1 passage, it says, and then after making purifications for sins, he sat down because that's what you do when you finish your work. It is finished, right? A God that finishes the work that nobody in all of history was able to do is beautiful. And then, it, it, you know, it doesn't just stop there. I mean, he does, he defeats death, he gets back up again, he created everything, he rules over it, right? So we know that not only is he beautiful, he's the king. And isn't it encouraging to know, Antioch, isn't it encouraging to know that you don't have to sell people on Jesus? You're not like his marketing department, right? You don't just have to figure out how to make him seem better than he actually is. In fact, you have no idea how good he actually is, right? It's actually going to take us eternity to come to reckon with how beautiful Jesus actually is. Isn't that amazing? Right? One of the things I love about my son, uh, Brad and Katie may have already gotten to see this, but one of the things I love about him is um, if you, like, introduce him to something that he's excited about, so like a snack, right? I mean, the bar is pretty low, but if you give him a snack, if you give him a snack, one of the things he does is, oh, thank you. Like he just, like his eyes get bright, his face lights up. He's like, oh, thank you. So you give him a snack or like a cup of milk or a toy. Oh, thank you. And it just makes me think, right, for all of eternity, right, when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, do you realize that part of the joy of eternity is that you for all of eternity are going to be recognizing new things about the depths of the mercy of God and you will be compelled to say, oh, thank you for all of eternity. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I didn't realize how deep your mercies are for me. Oh, thank you. I didn't realize how great your love was for me. Oh, thank you. I did not realize how merciful, how gracious, how kind, how forgiving, how faithful you were. Oh, thank you for eternity, for eternity. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Right? He's so much more beautiful than you and I even realize. 
And that's why it says, that's why it says, sing to the Lord a new song, right? It's connected to the idea that God's mercies are new every morning. He doesn't run out of it. You never exhaust it, right? There's just inexhaustible riches in Christ Jesus that we will be pluming for the rest of time, right? I mean, it's amazing. Sing to the Lord a new song. He is faithful. These mercies are new. This is an infinitely beautiful God, and that's the God of mission. So the God of mission is worthy of all worship because he's beautiful, but then also he's worthy of all worship because he's holy. It's not just that he's beautiful, he's also holy. Look in verses 4 and 5 again. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are what? Worthless idols. But the Lord, the Lord's not worthless. He's the one that made the heavens. So what the psalmist is saying is that God is holy. That's what it means. There's no one like him. He's the one true king, and he alone, and he alone deserves all worship. That's what feared means here, by the way. It's just another way of saying he deserves to be worshipped above all gods. And why is that? For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. You remember Exodus chapter 32? This is also one of my favorite. I actually have lots of favorite passages in the Bible, but um, it's, it's another one of my favorite passages, Exodus chapter 32. So you remember that God has just brought the people through the sea, right? Literally, they've just seen the, splice, the sea split open. They've come through on the other side. God has delivered them out of the land of slavery. And here they are, his people, gathered uh, under this mountain and Moses is going up and back and forth between them. And, right, it's almost like this, this wedding ceremony where God has come before his people and said, I will be your God. Right? I just brought you out of Egypt. I'm going to be faithful to all the promises that I made you. Um, I'm going to deliver on all those promises, bring you to this land where you can truly rest and know me. I'll be your God. I do. And then the people respond, yes, we will be your people. We will love you. We will obey you. Obey your commandments. We're going to do what you want us to do and go where you want us to go. I do. So they make this commitment to each other. And then Moses goes on the mountain for 40 days to receive, write down these things from God, come back to the people. But in the 40 days, the people decide, oh, you know what? That God probably killed Moses. He ain't coming back. So, you know, Aaron, what we want you to do is make a God for us tragic like all the other gods of the nations. And so 40 days is all it takes for them to say, hey, make us a God. And what, 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 what do we want this God to look like? Well, I don't know, a calf. How about a calf? A golden calf. That'll do. And Aaron thinks this is a good idea. And so Aaron makes them a golden calf. And we read that story and we think this is absolutely ridiculous. These people... How dare they? They just saw God bring them out of Egypt. How could they possibly turn now to a golden calf? We think how primitive of them. But if we're honest, if we're really honest, we are these people. Right? We, we wouldn't make a golden calf. We, we're too sophisticated for that. But our idols that we make are very similar. So what they've done is they've looked at this God who when he shows up, he shows up, there's like thunder and there's volcanoes. And they're like, we don't know what to do with a God like that. But you know what we do know what to do with? A calf. <laughs> right? That's something that we can understand and we can control. We have that same impulse. I don't know what to do with a God who says the kind of things that he says and demands the kind of things that he demands. But I know what to do with something that's a little more ah, like me. 
And so we start to, you know, I don't know what to do with a God who says the kind of things about sex and marriage that he says. So I start to make a God who's a little more like me, a little less concerned with holiness, a little more concerned with, you know, I just, he just really wants me to be happy and to do what I want to do. And right, he doesn't really conflict me and my urges and my desires. He's really just he, he loves the same people I love. He hates the same people I hate. And really, at the end of the day, it ends up being that we're just worshiping ourselves. And this is a God that is worthless. A God with the same strengths as me and the same weaknesses as me can't save me. A God that you create cannot create new life in you. That's the problem. A God that you make yourself cannot convert brokenness to beauty, cannot, cannot save from sin. And, and then the reality is that God, that God is not worthy of the worship of anyone, certainly not the nations. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. And that's one way we go to, maybe if you think about it, right now we're in the middle of Ramadan, so uh, Muslims all over the world right now are in a season of fasting and prayer. And so maybe from the worthless idol side of things, we can see often in American cultures around us, we can see that that's a tendency towards making a God who is not concerned with holiness at all. But in Islam, it's kind of the other extreme. This God can never be satisfied. This God, you just, it demands more. You must be doing more. Pray more, give more, do more, try harder, be better, and it's never enough. More sacrifices, more sacrifices, more sacrifices. And at the end of the day, maybe, maybe, just maybe, it will be enough. We know it will never be enough, and that God is also a God that's worthless. The God that demands more and more and more but makes no provision is worthless to us. So whether it is that we're making this God to look like ourselves or whether it is that we've gone to the other extreme of worshiping a God that demands more. And by the way, we can do this even in the context of our churches, right, where we make everything all about, we do more, read your Bible more, you're not reading your Bible enough, right, and then I just read my Bible, check, I'm good with God, right, pray more, you're not praying enough, if you pray more, then check, I'm good with God, we do the same things. This God also is not the God of the Bible, and this is a God that is worthless, because the God of the Bible says, I see you, I know who you are and where you are and what you are, and I know that there is no amount of doing that you can do to get to me. I see the distance between my holiness and your sinfulness, and I know that you cannot traverse that chasm. So instead, I came to you, right? That is the God who is holy that we can say there is no God like this God. This is the God who doesn't wait for you to figure it out, doesn't wait for you to clean yourself up, doesn't wait for you to get to him. He sends his son for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is the mission of God, to come and win the worship of people from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people group, because not only of the gods of the nations worthless, but they cannot save, and that is the issue. There is only one God that can save us from our sins, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one true God, and this is the celebration 
of Psalm 96, right? Because there's no need for us to sing a new song among the nations if indeed there are multiple ways to get to God. But if there's only one way, we've got to go singing this song, right? This is the compelling that we have of going and declaring the glory of God among the nations is that his glory is revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And they must know, we must know. And so therefore we are compelled. We got to sing this, this new song. And we got to sing it everywhere that that song is not heard. The God of mission is worthy of all worship. So then, what is the mission of God's people? Let's keep reading. Go back to where we started, verses 1 through 3. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. The mission of God's people is to, number one, know him in community, and two, to spread his worship to all nations. So let's take that first part. The mission of God's people is to know him in community. There's a pastor that I loved. He's passed away now, but his name was E.V. Hill. And I remember this sermon that E.V. Hill did, and he was talking about um, how when he was a kid, he thought, he, he said he actually went to his mom and asked, don't the angels get tired of singing the same thing over and over and over again, holy, holy, holy. Like, don't they get bored of doing that? And, you know, one of the things about pastors you may or may not know is sometimes they tell stories, and I'm like, did that really happen? Or, like, was this just a great example? And honestly, I don't know if this is, like, what happened or if it was just a great example. Either way, I love the story. So he says that what happens is his mom responds to him, well, Baby, it's like this. What happens is they bow down singing holy, holy, holy. And every time they come back up, God has done something new. Like he saved another person. He's redeeming another person, another people group in another place, bringing comfort to another broken person. Every time, holy, holy, holy. But then they come and there's a new. But then you think about that on the scale of the church. Not just you individually are seeing God do new things, but we are the collection of witnesses of God doing all these new things all the time. And we're reminding each other. And that's what the church is supposed to be. It's not, we're not individual worshipers. The church is a worshiping community. This is the mission that we've been given. We know him and we know him in community. Together we are pushing each other towards a greater realization of who God is, a greater enjoyment of him. And that's why we're singing this song together, singing this new song about the glory and the majesty and the faithfulness of our God. It's the church that has experienced the salvation of God. It's the church, the coming together of brothers and sisters from different backgrounds, different cultures, different communities, different ages, different socioeconomic statuses, but one family brought together by one common experience. That is the salvation that Christ himself brings and the sacrifice that he made so that we might be purchased for him and be brought together into one body. So, Before you and I are called to do something for Jesus, we're called to be made something by Jesus. That is the church, right? We are people for his own possession. And this, by the way, this is our primary calling, to know God. That's our primary calling. There is no making the gospel known among the nations by a people who do not know him themselves. 
right? We are the people called to know him and to be in an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. That's our primary calling. Our secondary callings, they change all the time. They're temporary, right? Temporarily called to this assignment in this place. But if you mix those up and you start viewing that as your primary calling, what happens is when that changes, you start to reevaluate your very identity and your worth before God. If you attach it to an assignment, right, what happens when there's a global pandemic and nothing looks normal? You start feeling like, I'm, I don't know where I am with God. I don't know if am, am any value to him anymore, but you just got to realize that your worth and your value does not come from your assignment. Your primary calling is he wants to know you. And that's good news, that the God of the universe wants to know you. That is an amazing news. So if you ask me, let me give you an example. If you ask me why I love my son, I, 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 if you ask me what I love about my son, rather, what I love about my son, I can tell you, I could just list off a bunch of things I love about Azariah. There's so many things. Like, I love how personable he is. He, love, he really loves people. Like, he gains so much energy. So, I mean, us being around uh, Brad and his family, he loves uh, Brad's daughters, they, he's just like following them around and like trying to roar at them like a dinosaur because that's what he does. Um, like he just, he just loves, he gets so much joy. I, I mean, this made the pandemic really interesting because we'd go to the grocery store and he's like trying to make best friends with everybody and he wants them to pick him up and stuff. And we're like, no, you can't do that. And, right? He just loves people. I love how much he loves people. Or I love, we pray a simple prayer every night and I love, there's nothing I love more than hearing my son pray. Like we pray a simple prayer. God, thank you for mama and daddy and baby brother. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Bible. Help me rest. Help me know you. Help baby brother be safe and help him know you in Jesus' name. Amen. I love listening to him pray. And sometimes he kind of takes and does his own little span of prayer. It's great. Like, sometimes, like last night his prayer was, thank you for friends. Thank you for hot dogs. Thank you for monkeys. You know? Amen. That's right. Whatever, whatever's on your heart, bud. Whatever's on your heart. If you ask me what I love about him, there's so many things. But listen, if you ask me why I love him, I won't give you anything that he does. I just love him because he's my son. And we have to be constantly reminded that God doesn't love you because of anything that you do for him. Reality is he doesn't need you to do anything for him. Like, if, if we really break it down, right, if we're really honest, my son, not only does he not do anything for me right now, he really doesn't, but he also costs me a whole lot. <laughs> right? Any parents in the room? Like, you know, like, they're, they're really costly. Listen, you cost God his son. So if it's based on what you do for him, you're never going to win that battle. But if he loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he is love, that's a whole different story. You are the people of God's mission because he loves you, not because of what you bring to the table. It's just simply because he loves you and he invites you into this mission among the nations. What an incredible privilege that is. And we got to start seeing it that way. That it, we, we, don't, we don't get out here and guilt people into, you need to go because it, the nations are perishing. They are perishing, that's true. But primarily, you need to go because you were made to know God. And he's on the move, which means that we should be on the move because we want to know him.
and he wants to know us. That's our primary calling. So we're made to know him in community and to spread his worship to all nations. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Our role is to declare and display the gospel of the kingdom of God in all places to all peoples. That's it. We're supposed to know him in community as the church, and then we go throughout the earth declaring and displaying the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's really simple. Not easy, but it is really simple. The tragic reality is that there are many places around the world, including here in Kentucky, where people have never been invited to sing a new song to the Lord. There are whole people groups in some places of the world that know nothing of the salvation that Jesus brings, and we're really aware of that during Ramadan. Whole people that think that if they just try hard enough, that they might be able to get to God. And you and I know the truth, that there's no amount of doing that they could do and that there's no amount of doing that they have to do. But there are whole people groups that are perishing, not realizing that there is a way to God that is sure. There are people in places that are blind to the glory of God and the nations just rage and they perish not knowing that the kingdom of God has arrived in the person and work of Jesus. When I was in college, um, I went through some really difficult financial times. Um, I'm from South Carolina originally, and I was going to the University of North Carolina, which means that I was paying out-of-state tuition, which was crushing me. But I was getting this pretty generous scholarship, one from Carolina, but two from Uh, my high school. But then after my first year at Carolina, I got a call from my high school that said, hey, you remember that scholarship we told we were going to give you for four years? Well, actually, we ran out of money, and we're not going to be able to do that. Sorry about that. End of conversation. Like, that's that's great. I have no idea what I'm going to do now. So, after just trying and trying, I mean, I pursuing, knocking on doors, trying to get a job, trying to figure it out, nothing was working, and I ended up having to just withdraw from school for a while and, and try to figure this thing out. Well, cutting a long story short, I had a friend of mine who ended up contacting me one day and saying, Julius, my father and I have been praying for you, and we feel like God is calling us to partner with you in some way, and we don't really know what that's going to look like, but we just wanted you to know that we're feeling this, and we're praying. I'm like, great. And then all of a sudden, all these things start happening. God really starts working, and one day we walk into the UNC registrar's office where I walk up to this lady's counter. I give her my student ID. She looks up my account and says, yes, I see that you owe five or $6,000. I don't remember now which one it is, but she says, this is what you owe. I've walked into that office without any of those resources, but now I have this debt I'm aware of but no ability to pay it. But my buddy pulls out his checkbook and he writes a check for the five or $6,000 that I owe. 
and he hands it to the woman. And now, all of a sudden, this debt that I couldn't dream of paying, these resources came from somebody else's account, particularly his father, who was a neurosurgeon. And all of a sudden, from his account, is credited to my account, and this debt that I could not pay was now paid on my behalf. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking, to an even greater degree, there was a debt that I owe to God, because the scriptures say the wages of sin is death. And I knew that I did not have the resources in and of myself to pay that debt. But God, in his kindness, wrote a check with his son's life to pay what I could not pay for myself, And now, all of a sudden, heaven's resources came into my account, and I was debt-free. And I made the decision in that moment, having that picture of what had happened in a heavenly reality, I made this, this decision. God, I will give my life, I will give my life to making it clear to people that what you've done for me in Christ, you can do for them. I'll give my life to that. And what I want to know as I come to the end here with you, Antioch, is what do you do with people in Kentucky and people among the nations who what they're doing is they're scrounging around trying to gather pennies of righteousness and holiness that they're throwing at God and hoping that it will be enough to pay an infinite debt. And what do you do when you know the generosity and the kindness of this God who has wrote a check in the person and work of his son and offers it freely to anyone who will receive it and they don't know but you do what do you do with that is there any conviction any burden any desire to give your life to people in Kentucky and among the nations knowing that they do not have to scrounge around for pennies of righteousness when God offers his son Sing to the Lord a new song, all the earth. The God of mission, he's called you, everyone. Everyone who is in Christ is called. The only question now is where and how. And that's what I want to leave with you. Not under guilt, but certainly under conviction. But because the God of mission is beautiful and he's holy and he's generous and he's kind... And because you know him, if you are in Christ, because your life is not your own, because it belongs to him, and because if you desire to know him, then you desire also that he be known. And so I leave with you, here is the God of mission who calls you, sing, sing to the Lord a new song, sing it all the earth, and then makes it really clear what you're supposed to do, bless his name, tale of his salvation from day to day, and declare his glory, declare his glory among the nations. So brothers and sisters, although God doesn't need us, more importantly, God desires us, and he desires us partner with him. And we are the church, the very people that are called to be his partners. And it is the greatest privilege, but also you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to leverage everything about your life, everything about your family, everything about who you are for the sake of singing this new song among the nations. And then also, that's what you do as a church. You sing to the Lord a new song.
you are blessing his name as a congregation. You are telling of his salvation from day to day. And you are declaring his glory among the nations. God has seen fit to bring the nations right to your doorstep. And then you are sending your members all over the world to declare his glory. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and broke it and said to his disciples, This is my body, broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. He also took a cup of wine after blessing it, gave it to his disciples and said, This cup is the new covenant, right? The gods of the nations, worthless idols, but this, this cup represents a new covenant marked by the shedding of my blood. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you announce the Lord's death until he returns. I've heard that the tradition here at Antioch is to come forward and break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. There are two stations I see set up here for you to come. And there are, I think, gluten-free options. Is that right? Yes, so you've got gluten-free here, so that's not a problem. There will be these stations. That's right, just want to remove any obstacles to anyone being able to know to come. If you're a baptized believer... If you're in Christ, you know him as your Lord and Savior, and you've been baptized, then we invite you to come, having acknowledged to the Lord any way that he's brought conviction to your heart. And I hope you're under conviction. And if you're a believer but you're not yet baptized, then what we'd invite for you is to come and talk about taking that step of what baptism is and why we invite you to take that step in obedience to the Lord Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then this sacred symbol is not for you, at least not yet. And although we would ask you not to take communion, we would plead with you to take Christ. He's available to you right now. For God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is your opportunity and the door is open for you to receive Christ. And we would love to talk to you about taking that step. So I've heard there will be pastors in the back to talk and pray about any needs that you have. And I just want to pray for us so that we can come and take part in communion. So heavenly And gracious Father, we thank you for the privilege of knowing you. If it not for your heart to make yourself known, none of us, not a single one of us would know you. And the Bible itself is a testimony that you desire to be known because you have given it to us that we might know you. And also we might know what you are doing in the world around us. For here is a record of your faithfulness throughout generations and the mission that you are engaged in. And Father, it is our desire that we would get to be a part of what you're doing among the nations. We know that's your desire, but Lord, would you make it ours? Lord, would you help us, like we prayed under conviction earlier, that there is comfort that keeps us from stepping into your mission, but Lord, would you remove that idol of comfort and convenience and remembering that our lives are not our own, that your kingdom is coming and one day in its fullness you're going to wipe away every tear and every sacrifice that we've made will be worth it. 
So Lord, would you help us by the power of your spirit to respond to the call that you've placed in our lives to know you and to make you known and to go throughout the earth singing to you a new song, especially in places where they have not heard that song before. I pray that there would be people specifically among us that you would raise up and send out. And Lord, we pray that if anyone is wrestling with Christ right now, that you might compel to open their eyes to see who Jesus is and the beauty of him laying down his life that we might be made alive in him to know you and then to make you known. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.